You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We at the Cross and Crown believe the Bible is the word of God. And so we have this incredible privilege of hearing him speak to us when we read it or when we listen to it being spoken. Um, So we'll begin with Isaiah chapter 7, if you can just open up your word um, or you can follow along on the screen. Today we've got a rather large portion of scripture to listen to, Isaiah chapter 7 right through to chapter 9 verse 7. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah, son of Remaliah, went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son, Shir Joshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit by the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smouldering sticks, the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. For Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has plotted harm against you. They say, let's go up against Judah, terrorise it and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tabil's son as king in it. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. The chief city of Aram is Damascus. The chief of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The chief city of Ephraim is Samaria, and the chief of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Shoal or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, Listen, house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your people and your father's house such a time as has never been seen since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. On that day, the Lord will whistle to flies at the farthest streams of the Nile and to bees in the land of Assyria. All of them will come and settle in the steep ravines, in the clefts of the rocks, in all the thorn bushes and in all the water holes. On that day, the Lord will use a razor hide from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave the hair on your heads, the hair on your legs and even your beards. On that day, a man will raise a young cow and two sheep, and from the abundant milk they give, he will eat curds, for every survivor in the land will eat curds and honey. 
And on that day, every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand pieces of silver will become thorns and briars. A man will go there with bows and arrows because the whole land will be thorns and briars. You will not go to all the hills that were once tilled with a hoe for fear of the thorns and briars. Those hills will be places for oxen to graze and for sheep to trample. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large piece of parchment and write on it with an ordinary pen. My hair shall al hajbaz. I have appointed trustworthy witnesses, the priest Uriah and Zechariah, son of Jeberechiah. I was then intimate with the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Meher Shalal Hajbaz, for before the boys know how to call father or mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria will be carried off to the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because these people rejected the slowly flowing water of Shiloh and rejoiced with Rezin and the son of Ramalia, the Lord will certainly bring against them the mighty rushing water of the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria and all his glory. It will overflow its channels and spill over all its banks. It will pour into Judah, flood over it and sweep through, reaching up to the neck, and its flooded banks will fill your entire land, Emmanuel. Band together, peoples, and be broken. Pay attention, all you distant lands. Prepare for war and be broken. Prepare for war and be broken. Devise a plan, it will fail. Make a prediction, it will not happen, for God is with us. For this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony. Seal up the instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking forward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness and the gloom of affliction and they'll be driven into thick darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will bring honour to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. 
For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Uh, God, we ask and pray in your kindness that you would speak to us. Open our minds that we might behold wondrous things from your instruction. And these things we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, One of the reasons why I love Isaiah is because it's so visual, isn't it? Like over the last few weeks, we've seen some amazing pictures. A A grand city, stars in the night sky, a blazing sun and a throne in heaven. And yet, I think if you ask any parent in the world, for them, I suspect the most beautiful sight that they've ever seen is their newborn child. I mean, just the other day when I was preaching on on God's wrath and judgment, Emmett got up and started wandering around there and you could see everyone's faces around him just, just light up. If you've seen a young Elias who hasn't yet come to church, but you've seen photos of him, you just melt inside at just how cute he is. Well, we, we have, there's something about kids, isn't there? Children are, are so small and fragile. And yet at the same time, they're also so significant. It's a sign of life. It's a symbol of hope. You you wonder when you hold a small child in your hands, how how can someone so small be something so significant? In Psalm 8, even God says that children are more magnificent than the heavens. In Luke 18, Jesus says that that a child is is actually a picture of faith. It's a bit jarring, but actually quite beautiful. Last week in Isaiah 6, we saw this cosmic vision of a big God in all of his glory. But today, suddenly in Isaiah 7 to 9, we see a tender picture of four young children. It's almost as if Isaiah wants to show us that God's holiness and glory are most on display through a small and fragile child. And that's exactly what we see in this first boy. This first boy, his name is Shia Jashub. Shia Jashub. Now, Emmet and Elias, they've been born into one of the most safe and livable cities in the world. But, but not this boy. This boy, Shia Jashub, he's born in the 8th century BC into a city under siege. He's born into a nation that is gripped by fear. Remember last week, it actually wasn't that long ago that King Uzziah died and the protection that he gave Jerusalem died with him. It's 16 years later and a new king, Ahaz, sits on the throne. 
And over these 16 years, Assyria in the east has been growing in strength. And now there's two smaller nations, Syria and Israel, and they're banding together to fight against Assyria. And Judah is stuck in the middle. These two nations, they come to Judah and say, join us in the fight. Ahaz says no. And so in chapter 7, Syria and Israel, they form this coalition, and instead of taking on Assyria first, they come against Jerusalem. They want to take Ahaz out, and they want to install Tabil's son as a puppet king for them to control. That's pretty much what's happening in verses 1 to 6. Jerusalem, it's as if they're cornered with these two great nations bearing down on them. So just imagine what it must feel like to be a young kid growing up in a city like that. You'd be terrified at this constant threat of invasion. But it's not just this boy. Verse 2 says, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people, I love this, they trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? A king so afraid that his body trembles like a fearful child. When was the last time you were that afraid? And yet, in verse 3, just look at what Isaiah says to a king, a nation, and a child, all of whom are gripped by fear. This is what he says. Calm down. And be quiet. Don't be afraid. Now, I've been told by a married couple that calm down is generally not a helpful thing to say when your spouse is anxious because there's really nothing you can do to calm their fears. It really doesn't help. But but God is not like just any husband or wife. Now, look in verse 1. Syria and Israel were not able to conquer Jerusalem. In in verse 4, Isaiah calls these two nations nothing more than burnt matchsticks. And in verse 7, look at what God says about the potential destruction of Jerusalem. It will not happen. It will not occur. Don't don't you love that? Not not. It might not happen, it probably won't happen, or I'll do my best to make sure it doesn't happen. No, what does he say? It will not happen. You will not be destroyed. In fact, if anyone's going to be destroyed, it's Syria and Israel. Verse 8, within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. It's exactly what happens. 732 BC, Syria is overrun by Assyria. Ten years after that, Israel is defeated and assimilated into the empire. Can you see what God is saying here? He's looking at all of our fears and all of our anxieties and he's saying, it will not happen. It will not occur. So stand firm. Trust the Lord. Rely on him. Verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Isn't that great? If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. That one verse in many ways summarizes the entire message of Isaiah. 
we stand firm in the face of fear by faith in God alone. Did you get that? We stand firm in the face of fear by faith in God alone. So many of us live our lives in absolute fear. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of sickness, disaster, loneliness, rejection, judgment, failure, shame. And of course, we're afraid of missing out. And all those fears, you realize, they drive us to rely on anyone but God. What are you afraid of? A few years ago, uh, Jeremy Kane, one of our elders, he, was, he said this to me, or something like this to me, I get it, some fears in life are understandable, but if Jesus came to free us from the fear of death, then surely our fear shouldn't be existential, right? We shouldn't be gripped by fear every moment of our lives. And I'll never forget what he said next. He might forget this, but I won't. He said, there are some fears that we need to repent of. There are some fears that we need to repent of. But I think he's right. In fact, the name of this boy, Shia Jashu, means the remnant will repent. In many ways, this boy's name tells us how we should respond to our fears. He calls us to turn away from our fears and turn to the Lord, to trust and know that that God alone will protect us. He'll preserve us as a remnant. He'll keep us as a surviving people. Can you hear what he's saying? Don't succumb to your fears. Stand firm in your faith. What fears do you need to repent of today? Ahaz did not repent of his fear. You don't know what Ahaz did. He choked and he turned not to God. He turned to the world. So now we meet another child and his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Look at verse 10. God graciously offers Ahaz a sign, a sign to strengthen his faith. But look what Ahaz says. I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Now, this sounds humble, doesn't it? It sounds good. It sounds respectful. But I want you to know it's not. If we look at 2 Kings 16, we know exactly what Ahaz did. He didn't repent of his fear. He choked and he didn't run to the Lord. Instead, what did he do? He's got got Syria and Israel bearing down on him because they want to take out Assyria. God says, don't trust them, trust me. And yet, what does Ahaz do? He runs to Assyria. He runs to the big bad bully in the schoolyard to take on the two other scrawny kids. Except he's even scrawnier. He begged Assyria to be his God. And now, when God comes along and offers him a sign to strengthen his faith, what does Ahaz say? No. It's too late. Last week, we looked at what it looked like to have a hard heart. If you want to know what a hard heart looks like, here it is. Because not even a sign as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven can save him. It's a warning to us. 
A fearful heart which does not trust God can easily become a hard heart, hard hearts which never trust God. So God now says to Ahaz, well, you don't want a sign, but I'll give you a sign. And this sign will be a child whose name is Emmanuel. God with us. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, right? Four weeks away, Christmas is right there. Look, it's a prophecy about Christmas. There's a virgin, there's a child, he'll bring God to us. It's got to be Jesus. Now, I'm as excited about Christmas as you are. But in the words of Isaiah, calm down and be quiet. Um, This isn't referring to Jesus, at least not immediately. That word virgin can simply refer to a young girl. And in verses 15 to 17, notice when her child comes of age, what will he be doing? He'll be living under judgment. He won't have enough grain to eat, so he'll he'll have to live off curds and honey. He'll experience a tragedy worse than the division of the kingdom. This boy will, will suffer under the king of Assyria. In verses 18 to 19, Assyria will occupy every square inch of Judah. In verse 20, it will shave and shame the people of God. In verse 21, just like Emmanuel, now the whole nation won't have enough food to eat. And most tragically, in verses 23 to 25, that precious vineyard, which I love back in chapter 5, burned down the thorns and thistles. Okay, can you see the picture of these two kids, right? The first child, Shia Jashub, is a picture of how we should meet our fears with faith. But this second child, Emmanuel, is a picture of what happens if we don't. Yeah, God will be with us. He'll be with us in judgment. Emmanuel is a child who lives under the judgment of God. Do you notice how God judges his people, though? He judges his people by handing us over to the very kings we run after. It's as if God says to Judah, you, you, you want Assyria? Have Assyria. You see, out of a fearful heart, what did Ahaz do? He ran to Assyria for protection. And then out of a hard heart, he did a deal with the devil and promised them, I am your servant and your son. And God says, well, be careful what you wish for. Because, like, credit where credit's due, Ahaz's deal with the devil, it paid off in the short term. What did Assyria do? They came out and they took out Syria and Israel. It worked, didn't it? But they didn't stop there. Because after they took out Syria and Israel, they turned on Judah and took them out as well. And so it is for everything we run after other than God. You see, all of our idols, let me say, they work. Your idols who aren't God, they work. They're effective for a very limited time. Because in the end, they will turn on us and take us out. It's true. Our idols, the things we run after who aren't God, they will almost definitely destroy our fears today but they won't stop until they destroy us as well. 
If I fear being poor and so run after money, I'll actually be left in the end feeling totally insecure, no matter how much I have. If I fear being alone and then run from relationship to relationship, I'm going to feel lonelier than ever in all of those relationships. If I fear being unhappy and so run after alcohol, freedom and travel, I'm going to drink, be free and fly around the world and yet still be more dissatisfied and unfulfilled than ever before. You see, if in the end, out of fear, we run after anything but God, it will work in the short term. But it will destroy us in the end. And we'll be left like this poor child sitting in the wreckage of our shattered dreams, betrayed by the things we once relied on, living under God's judgment. Can you hear what Isaiah is saying through this child? Don't fear the world. Don't rely on the world. It's just not worth it. But now I want to show you a third child. A child with the strangest name of all. I worked on this all week. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. We're just going to call him Maher Shalal, which is hard enough for me. You know, the other week uh, when our one of the BLTs was on a retreat, I was in the car with Israel and Minju, and I was asking them what name would they give their child. My vote continues, guys, to be for Israelite, but they don't seem to cr- crash hot on it. Uh, whatever name they choose, I suspect they won't choose Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Now, Yes, of course, it's impossible to pronounce, firstly. But also, what does it mean? It means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. It pretty much means judgment is coming soon. And in many ways, the life of Mahershalal looks a lot like the life of Emmanuel. In fact, in verse 6, just look at it, we read that Judah, what did they do? They rejected the slowly flowing water of Shiloh. And instead, they ran to the mighty rushing water of Assyria. And just like it was for Emmanuel, Mahershalal, he suffers exactly what Judah asked for. You see, they wanted Assyria. They wanted uh, the mighty rushing water. They got the mighty rushing water. It's as if they went to the floodgates. They cranked them open, thinking that Assyria would then flood Syria and Israel and save them. But instead, in verse 7, look what it did. It flooded through, took out Syria, took out Assyria, and then came for Judah. The mighty rushing water of Assyria flooded Judah up to its neck, and it threatened to kill them. And it all started because out of fear, they didn't trust, notice, the slowly flowing water of God. It's almost as if Isaiah is showing us something of how God works in our world. Slowly. Like a trickle. Sometimes hard to see against the torrent of fear. And just like Judah, so often we cannot wait on God, can we? We see that slowly flowing water and we reject it. Instead, we run to Assyria, crank open the floodgate, but then we sweep ourselves away. And it's tragic. We look at Mahershalal and we see a boy drowning in the consequences of his people's sin. It's all pretty depressing, isn't it? 
These are not cute babies. These are kids growing up in a battlefield. It's like when you watch the news, you see kids in the Ukraine covered with dust and and you just feel heartbroken for them. But then suddenly, in verse 8, the Emmanuel child returns. That the boy who was once a sign of judgment comes back to us now at the turn of the tide and he's different. He's not the boy under judgment. No, in verse 8, Isaiah says, somehow the entire land of Judah belongs to this kid. This is a boy who is born a child and somehow yet a king. And in verses 9 to 10, Emmanuel no longer means God is with us in judgment. It now means that God is with with us in salvation. Just look at what God says to Assyria. Just like Syria and Israel attacked my people, remember, Syria and Israel, they were coming for Judah. Just like they attacked my people, Assyria, you will try. But you'll fail. I have the high ground. I'm seated on the throne in heaven. And just like I said to them in chapter 7, I say to you now in verse 10, it will not happen. Why? Because of this young boy. Because of Emmanuel. Because I am with them. Did you see? Try and piece this together, right? This is a boy who suffers under God's judgment, and yet he is also a king who is born to set his people free. This Emmanuel child tells us judgment is not the final word. We don't have to be afraid anymore. So verse 7, do not fear what they fear. Do not be afraid. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be afraid. If you're not the note-taking type, here's the point. How do we stand firm against our fears? By standing firm in our faith. How do we stand firm in our faith? By having a greater fear. By having a greater trust. God alone is holy. God is greater than Ahaz, greater than Assyria, and greater than our greatest fears. Gosh, verse 14 says that he'll be a sanctuary, our rock and our refuge, our shield and our strength. So here's the question that Isaiah wants to ask all of you today. Will you join him in committing to the words of verse 17? Will you join me and all of us in saying, Against all our fears, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. You see, friends, if you want to know, people often go to me, Adam, faith is such a fluffy concept. What what does that look like? What does it tangibly mean to trust God? Here it is. We express our faith by waiting on God. It can be hard to wait, can't it? I often pray for patience, frustrated that God hasn't given it to me. Because the longer we wait, the more we fear that they feel that God won't come. It's as if we look at the stream and see this 
trickle, that slowly flowing water of Shiloh, that trickle of God's faithfulness, and we wonder to ourselves, has God forgotten me? Has God forgiven me? Has God forsaken me? And then when the fear takes over and we can wait no longer, what do we do? We do exactly what Judah did. We choke. We don't hold the line. And we take matters into our own hands. So we feel that God hasn't helped us in our loneliness in the way that we want. And instead of waiting on God, what do we do? We run after an ungodly relationship. We don't feel the immediate joy of following Jesus. And instead of waiting on God, what do we do? We run back to the fleeting fun of our old lives. Well, this is one that hurts me and so many of us in our church. We continue to struggle against the same besetting sins week after week, month after month, year after year. But instead of waiting on God, we give up on change and we give in to sin. But God says, don't be afraid. Hold the line. Stay the course. Keep the faith. Wait on me. I am coming. Maher Shalal Hashbaz originally meant that God is coming quickly in judgment. But can you see now that when we look at Emmanuel, we know that actually Mahershalal takes on a whole different meaning. Emmanuel first meant God is with us in judgment, but now we see that Emmanuel also means that God is with us in salvation. What does that mean? It means that Mahershalal doesn't just mean that God is coming quickly in judgment, it means that he's coming quickly in salvation. God won't just be quick to plunder and swift to spoil. God will be quick to rescue and swift to save. We often think that waiting on God, why is God taking so, so long? He's not. He's quick to rescue and swift to save. He's on his way. Wait for him. Shia Joshua. Emmanuel and Mahershalal. There is, though, a fourth and final child. And he is the Prince of Peace. Now, many of you might know this, that after the Romanian Revolution, uh, it was thousands of neglected orphans were found to be living for years in horrific conditions. Uh, many of them had lived their whole lives quite literally in the dark, to the point that it was, this is the tragic part of it, many of these Romanian orphans feared human touch. And just like those Romanian orphans, Shia Jashub and Maher Shalal, they've lived under the darkness of sin their whole lives. In verses 18 to 22, the people of Judah even turned to dark spirits over the God of light. And Isaiah says, if you look to the darkness, you will live in the darkness. But now, This is the best part. In Isaiah 9, the prophet says, Judah, son of Yahweh, too long have you sat in the shadows. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Can you hear the hope in Isaiah's words? That the Lord who promised to be quick to rescue and swift to save, 
He's here. I mean, just imagine for a moment, right? Being one of those Romanian orphans or being Shia Jashub or Maher Shalal trapped in the darkness. You look out from your orphanage window and for the first time in your life, you see light, freedom, rescue and hope. Your whole life you've been waiting so long for salvation and now as you look at your window, you realize my Savior is here. I don't need to wait a day longer. But it gets better because when you step out into the light and your synapses readjust to the sunlight, you look around and you see, gosh, I'm not the only one who's been saved. Verse 1 of chapter 9 says that the light has dawned not only on Judah, but also to Galilee of the nations. It's as if you exit that orphanage and realize that thousands of other orphans right around the world were trapped in the darkness just like you. And now all of them have been saved just like you. And you're a kid who's been liberated. You run into the city square and you sing with joy, 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 and joy. And I say it four times because joy or rejoice is repeated four times in verse 3. In, in verse 4, you, you enjoy for the first time your freedom from slavery because God has shattered your oppressive yoke and the rod on your shoulders. In verse 5, you breathe in the fresh air and you sleep in peace because the war is finally over. If you want joy, freedom and peace, they're all found in this child, the Prince of Peace. And even though his name isn't used here, how can it not be the Emmanuel child, right? It's almost as if over the last two chapters, Isaiah's been revealing to us who this child really is. This child is born for us. This son is given to us. That the very government which lent on Assyria but crumbled will one day stand on the shoulders of this child and live. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Friends, these titles are far too great for any human king. And his kingdom will be like no other. It will be full of justice and righteousness, and his prosperity will never end. Ever. I can't wait for the day where I don't have to be afraid anymore. One thing um, that I've been really struggling with this year has been wondering, what does my future look like? Um, I have often, um, when it comes to church life, I can kind of map out for you under God, humanly speaking, what our plans are for the next 10, 20 years, right? But if you ask me personally, Adam, well, what do you hope for your own life? I don't know, actually. And I kind of look forward and it does look bleak on the worst day. And it does make me afraid. Most uh, people's um, uh, life trajectories map onto family. So uh, you get married, and then your kid, and then you have kids, and, and then your then your kids' life becomes your life for the next like eighteen years, depending on cultural background. Maybe thirty, you know, like uh, and and 
And so that gives your life a certain trajectory, predictability, right? Andrew Moody, who's at the Gospel Coalition, he said, having a family, it gives you something to do. <laughs> um, life and the future, thinking about the future can be terrifying when you don't have that. Because you don't know what's happening next. And the thing that dawned on me is, I go, what will my future be? And, and I go, actually, this is a picture of my future. If I want to know what my future life is going to be like, read Isaiah. A day where loneliness will be gone. A day where we have each other forever. An introvert's nightmare, right? Like a day on which you'll never have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of depression, disease, disaster or death. Finally, our waiting will be over and our satisfaction will be forever. If you want to see what your future life looks like, read that. Can you imagine then 800 years later what Matthew must have thought when he saw a baby born to a virgin in a land under oppression to a people living in darkness? In Matthew 1.22, he looked at Jesus and saw everything this Emmanuel child was meant to be. Look at what he says. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Do you see what all of Judah had been singing before they even knew the lyrics to the song? Come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Jesus would bring God's presence. Jesus would bear God's judgment. Jesus would rule God's nation. Jesus would save God's people. In that first Christmas, Judah's 800 years of waiting was finally at an end. The light had dawned. Its saviour had come. And so it's true for us, brothers and sisters, because Christ is born, we don't need to be afraid anymore. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can see something of why we love Jesus. We love him because God promised long ago that he would come and save us from our deepest fears. And at Jesus' birth, I want you to know that's exactly what he did. You see, like Shia Jashub and Mahershalal, we were living in the darkness. But Jesus came. He entered our darkness. He came as the Emmanuel child and he shone God's light into the darkness to save orphans like you and me. If you're not a Christian, please hear this, right? Salvation, all that, it feels so otherworldly. Let me get direct. If you want to be free from fear, put your faith in Jesus. If you want to be free from fear, put your faith in Jesus. And for those of us Christians who already love Jesus, let me ask this question, what are you afraid of? What fears do you need to repent of? How will you respond to your fears this day? Many of us look forward, don't we? 
We have a good, nerdy to eschatological vision of the hope to come. We look to, the etern- we look to eternity and go, yes, one day the light will dawn. And we think that the light will only come in the future, but I guess in this life, my life must be full of despair. And so what we do is we wallow in the darkness, thinking that God's promised light, yep, it's coming one day, but it's not here yet. But it's not true. The light has already dawned. The sun has already risen. Jesus has already come into our world. It's true. In eternity, the sun will shine forever. But do not think that the sun has not already risen. You see, friends, just like Isaiah's children, you and I can sing in this life, right this moment, through our sorrow, joy, 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 and joy. We don't need to wait for the world to come. We will, we can, and you will, at the end of the service, sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Not only will the light come in the future, no, the light has already dawned in the past. So let me offer this to you, friends. As you confront the weight of your sin, as you look at the brokenness of our world, don't look out at the darkness and despair. Don't even look into your heart and wallow. Look up to God on the throne. Look forward to the day on which Jesus will seal our salvation. But importantly, look back to the day. Look back to the cross where Jesus won our salvation. Yes, we are still waiting. But actually, in the birth of Jesus, our waiting is at an end. The birth of Jesus means the end of all our fears. Can I pray? Sovereign God, we we are at times terrified in life. And we're scared. We don't know what our lives will bring. We don't know what our futures hold. And we sometimes wonder whether we're even right with you. God, as we look at our fears face to face, God, help us not give in. Help us not give up. Help us hold the line. Help us keep looking to your son and see there that you are quick to rescue, that you are swift to save, and that in the birth of your son, the sun has risen and we have every reason for joy. And so now, God, as we sing and empathize in many ways with the Israelites of old, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Thank you that you have rescued us from our fears and our sins. May we find our rest in your son. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.